All right, everybody, welcome back to Grizzle Live. It's that interview series coming yeah. at you. Big one today, big one today. We're just talking in the green room, as green rooms do in, uh, in Zoom world. But I'm like, I'm like, we got to save some of this. Guys, he's got a big episode here. Scott, let's do the honors. We got a big So we, we got a friend of the show. This is the guy you want to talk to if you want to know what's going on in cannabis, because he's not just talking about it. He's investing in it. He's got his money everywhere. We want to hear what's going on. It's Mitch Barukowitz from Merida Capital. Let's bring him on. Let's go. Mitch, Mitch. welcome back to the show. <laughs> oh, man. I'm so excited to be here, guys. Oh, I know oh. people are hungry for information, and it's Yom Kippur, so you got to feed him on today. <laughs> yeah, you know? Totally, yeah. man. Uh, and for those who uh, – Mitch did a phenomenal interview with us. That was our first interview I mean, months ago, but it was just like, it was a banger. Everyone was like, wow, Mitch. You know, I'm like, and I was just like, whoa. And uh, Mitch, thank you again for coming back on. Uh, lots to cover, man. Obviously, uh, you know, the backdrop's a little different from, right, from the last right. time we covered, right. but um, right. the main thing is you're an investor, we're, an we're investors. But, right. And for investors, this kind of activity, you're looking at the long, there's a, there's a long, goalposts here right you know what happens in the day-to-day -day is that right right oh yeah no it's this is one of the most exciting times i think I, I know that there's a lot if you just follow twitter or or watch just stocks it can be very easy to just be very depressed by the action because of all the performance especially on the u.s side of either either ancillary companies or the big msos i mean the performance is just absolutely uh, unbelievable but yet stock prices continue to kind of drift down and I think a lot of that just comes down to money flow and and you know the the cyclical nature of of how retail moves because again we've all talked about the safe banking act or, or the regulatory actions. The truth is that the average world doesn't get to vote on cannabis stocks just yet, whether it's custody or buying stocks uh, in their retail accounts. And so right now you really have a very narrow band of of interest that's feeding the stock prices, and it's giving the wrong view. It's Never has something been more divergent in excitement. And, you know, I've, I've actually come up with a concept, which I'm, I'm excited to unveil at the MJ Biz conference when I, when I speak there. But it's that the fact is the future is going to arrive, but it's also going to be made. And, you know, the future is going to arrive for all the MSOs. There is a very predictable growth phase that's happening. And, you know, I was recently at Cresco's facility in, in Illinois and watched the scale there, which was amazing. GTI's yeah. products, Rhythm in Illinois. Again, Illinois, Ascend Wellness. Watching all those companies just absolutely go vertical in what they're selling in Illinois and with Massachusetts, uh, New Jersey, New York eventually coming. I mean, that future is going to arrive. It's predictable. Yep. And those companies have predicted crazy earnings that's coming, and yet their stocks continue to go down. So if you're a stock buyer and a trader, maybe it's really tough. But if you're an investor like me that looks at horizons of normality and normalization yep. that I always speak about, I've never been more excited. I, I can't be more excited today. Yeah, yeah. I'm so, going to be more excited tomorrow. So. No, so Mitch, I think this is a really important thing to, uh, to really, really focus on here. You're talking about something as an investor. And I think this is the challenge here because obviously a lot of people, right now we're talking about a predominantly retail audience in the publicly listed equities that a lot of them have worn trading hats and they are not necessarily investors. Like, could you get us into the psyche? And I, I know we, we don't talk about it enough, but really get people into the psyche of an investor because you've been in this for, remind everyone how long you've been in cannabis. Like, this is not yeah. like, you, you know, you're not, you're I not waiting for your payday tomorrow. Yeah. I don't know if it was 2021 when we spoke, but I 
mean, I originally got into the industry in, in 2007, 8, 9, helping a friend who was in Colorado and helping a, a lot of Colorado operators do some just basic legal balking and tackling because I was a corporate lawyer. And then by 2010, when Colorado changed its adult use laws, you could really see that this was going to be just a massive industry. I'm sorry, in 2012, when they changed the laws. And I won my first license. You know, I had like a mini MSO in 2013. So whenever I go to, you know, a facility, and I think I've been in 250 plus over the last, you know, 10 years or so, uh, when I went like recently in Cresco and someone says, oh, I've been here since the beginning, six years, how long have you been in it? And I say, oh, I owned my first facility eight years ago. The you beginning, know, you're like, ah. Yeah, they faint. There's not a lot. They're not <laughs> running into a lot of people. That that The top of that pyramid, you know, a guy like Boris Jordan or or someone, you know, Cureleaf bought, uh, or actually it was called Palitech at the time, bought a Cureleaf, which was one of the Connecticut growers. So I, I remember those days. And so seeing that evolution really does give you, Thomas, a long-term view of what yeah. the world is. If you look at from 2013 to today, the world has changed incredibly. And what's what I think is most exciting is people, again, that very predictable growth going from the 25 billion of legal to 100 billion of legal sales is going to have some bumps along the road, especially when states are passing their own laws. I mean, California, the circuitous you know, route to getting most of their market into the legal market is still very challenging, yet it's happening. And what's most interesting is California, you know, you're, you're finding a lot of illegal operators kind of dumping their products into the market, which is hurting the wholesale market in California. But that's because other states are growing. That's because in New York is growing. And as the medical markets in New York, Pennsylvania, Virginia, you know, where I recently sold something to Green Thumb, you know, when you look at those markets growing, that's coming right out of the illegal market. That means that right. the illegal market is not shipping. Right. And we have actual great data uh, uh, that shows that absolutely most of the of the the consumption is coming out of people who were formerly illegal, which is why you're looking at larger packaging sizes, infused products, that product that served, you know, Thomas, you, someone who's yeah, been yeah, doing yeah. it for a long time, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, consumes a lot of product and wants the strongest products. They want to get to that phase that you spoke about last time. And I think yeah. while you're seeing that, I mean, we distinctly can say that pre-rolls are now infused. And, you know, I was out there when I was in Cresco and, and other facilities I go to, I always ask them, does anyone make a, a good pre-roll infusing machine? That's how an investor thinks. Right. What is going to be the next phase? So, you know, an investment we made recently was a Source, which is a beverage technology company. Why? Because beverages are going to be big. You know, I've been a skeptic and I know, Scott, last yeah. time you wanted to talk about I'm beverages. the ultimate beverage skeptic. <laughs> I'm a skeptic. But I'm always However, listening. I'm skeptical to the size and scale that people talk about. But I'm not skeptical that it's not gonna be a form that people use. I just think that you know, dispensaries have to be outfitted for something that's cold or something that's gonna be, you know, I don't, I don't know if the, the stabilization technology is there to have like a warm drink sit in the warehouse for six months like a, like a soda can. Right. So you really have to think about that supply chain and an investor thinks about that supply chain. That's what Merida does. That's what we, we do as a team when we go through ideas you know, and, and one of the things that I just said before about the future being, you know, arriving and being made is we're most interested in how that future is going to be made. What are the technologies that people aren't thinking about? What are the things that are happening on the front edges that are going to filter down and become normalized, right? What is the evolution of the digital desktop, right? When people are all using all of this uh, automation to look at their facility, when you look at some of the technology that the, the growers are using, and then the metrics that other people are using in there's, there's some other things in California around the, the direct-to-consumer that we're seeing the metrics in 
delivery technology. I mean, you're really seeing an amazing evolution that isn't being factored in anywhere yet. And that's the future that's going to be made, not the future that's arriving. Right now, all you're getting is a view of the future that's arriving, and it's arriving in a very predictable fashion. 20% growth, Kagers of, you know, 20% growth every yeah, quarter, Kagers yeah, yeah. of 30, 40, 50, right? These are, these would be the highest growth rates in the history of mankind. <laughs> they're but monstrous. They normal to us. Yeah, yeah. they're monstrous numbers. Uh, right. Scott, I know, I know you like because we, we compare, obviously, we're covering multiple growth sectors. That's our thing. You know, Grizzle covers growth. Right. This is like the top decile of growth when you overlay valuation. Like there's nothing like this. There's no. nothing like it. Absolutely. No. I mean, I agree. I think it's interesting that you guys, you know, like your plastics that we, we spoke about a little bit in the green room. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's my brothers in in re renewables and, and, and clothing recycling. And, you know, when you think of emerging tech, some of the companies in emerging tech will grow at remarkable rates because they've caught something that is that doesn't exist. Right. In cannabis, everyone's catching something that exists. It's just becoming legal for the first time. Right. right. Yeah. And so, that's so, what, so, like you, yeah. you know the size of the market that's onboarding. It's like an right. incredible. Coming back to that, you know, you're you're saying there, you know, it's predictable because that that market is established, it's huge, and it's now just being onboarded, and it gives you these crazy growth rates. Uh, obviously valuation is the concern for everyone while the prices are grinding lower, right. but again, taking that long-term lens, I guess, you know, from just getting into your head a bit about Marita and how, you know, you establish Marita and how you look at it from start to finish. Cause obviously your view is much longer yeah. than the average investor. Just how do you, how should, I think that'll help a lot of our audience too. How do yeah. you, how, what's your mindset there in terms of when you look at a new opportunity, how are you looking at that evolving? Well, I feel really lucky to be in the position I'm in um, and to have ground through myself. You know, it's not like this is the first time stocks have gone down. I mean, there was a total capital crunch in late 18, early 19 that, you know, destroyed a lot of companies. I think a lot of the companies, what I think might be interesting in a, in a positive way to look at the current state of stocks is the fact is that there's 20 to 30 MSOs that are so stable and have so much access to capital, whether it's debt capital or they already raised capital that this isn't killing them from an operational perspective. I mean, stock prices going down three years ago would have been devastating to the ability for companies to raise capital. I think people Great maybe point. are taking too short of a view and maybe too myopic of a view of saying stocks are going down, no one's buying. No, these companies are operating as if stocks aren't even, you know, I, I've, I have a chance to talk to Ben Cobbler and, and you know, Charlie Bechtel and, and when, I have a, when I'm lucky enough to talk to Brady Cobb or Kim Rivers or, yeah, yeah. you know, whether it's Abner Curtin or... Um, or George Arcos, you know, the people from, I'm lucky to be in a position where I could talk to those people. Yeah. And they're all like, it's full, it's full steam ahead. You know, no one's, it, no one is restricting their growth right now because of the stock prices, which you would have seen absolutely right. in 16, 17, 18, it would have been, the trains would have stopped. I mean, you yep. would have had a real degradation in companies' abilities to grow, which and you don't so, have at all right now. Yeah, Can I ask this, a question? Oh, so go ahead, Scott. Go ahead. I was just going to say, so this is basically, if you aren't looking at the stock price and you're watching the company, you wouldn't know that anything has changed from six months ago, right? That's true. But like, Scott, but on a counterpoint, I think in 16 to 17, you would see an absolute change in behavior yep. in companies. Because remember, 16 and 17 was that early phase where a lot of companies had to build their first facility, had to build their second facility, third facility. So it was all CapEx out. Now, when you look at the numbers in Illinois, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Virginia, New York, New Jersey, when you look at those states, Florida, when you look at those states and the growth of it, these companies have massive cash flow now, Yeah. right? Yeah. Their EBITDA is, is not good because of the, the tax uh, inequality. But if you look at the operating 
they are they are massive revenue generators. And because so, of that, so things are things are yeah. It's you wouldn't even know that the stocks are going down right now. No one has yeah. any yeah. visceral reaction to it on the operating side. So that this is a great point, Mitch. So before you needed the external markets for your growth capital to right. get that capital and to keep going. So right now, from what you're stating, is that basically there's enough cash generation within within these vehicles to to meet their needs for growth capital. If I'm understanding correctly, and the collateral base, Thomas, the collateral base is bigger. Look at. Yeah. A, a Cresco from or a GTI from 16 to now, they were just getting started in three or four states. They were spending money everywhere. They were making no revenue, right? They were developing patient count and doing other things. Yeah. And so when you look at that, um, you know, you really do have a distinct difference now. Now it's all about operating, right? It's no yeah. one's worried, and and they all have access to capital. You've seen some of the debt raises that they've done. Right. And I think also they're more mature companies where they will do debt. They're not. No one's doing an equity raise at these levels. Right. They're not going to get stuck. And I think actually that's why there's some value in the mid tiers is because they, they may have to do equity raises. So you, you might find really attractive stock pricing in the mid tiers and the lower tiers as well, because they're going to get hurt more because they have less liquidity. But, you know, you, you asked a question before that, that I, I definitely want to address, because I think I do think we have a, a somewhat unique view because we have this experiential view and we've invested heavily in a lot of, like I said, the future that's gonna be made. And I look at how ancillary companies are serving these MSOs and what's being done to automate and make more efficient. I look at some of the technologies that are being uh, um, introduced and we're learning a lot about, because the consumer, it's all about the consumer. The consumer is coming from the illegal market. They're buying bigger product sizes. So a lot of the people in Illinois on the wholesale level want bigger products, You know, maybe it's a half ounce. And it doesn't, it, it's not as much about what in California we call jar appeal, okay. right? And so I think there's a very big, and I've never talked about this publicly. This is going to be the first time I'm really talking about it, but I'm writing about it right now. So I'm hoping to introduce something about it. But we are seeing a rapidly evolving consumer aesthetic that I don't think even Merida predicted or other people predicted. And I'm lucky to be in a position where I'm hearing the ideas of 100 to 200 companies a month, not just big companies, uh, again, the future that's going to arrive but smaller companies who are trying to be the next thing that serves an MSO, that serves a consumer. Yeah. You know, so when we invested in, in women-focused companies like Miss Grass or Her Highness, that was something we were getting from the front edge of data, mm. right? And now we're getting new data about this personal aesthetic, this stylized aesthetic. And you only really get that in an industry when the consumer starting to mature. Right. And Mitch, are you Sorry. comfortable talking? So it sounds like there's some niches of tomorrow that you've identified. Or can yeah. you talk about some of those that seem exciting yeah. to you that yeah. maybe the next trend that we should know about? Well, here's the, I'll lay out five general things and you guys can ask away or maybe your, your um, viewers can ask if they want to go a little deeper in it. But I am writing about it right now and I'm going to talk about it uh, a lot more in the future because I think we're seeing real tangible changes that, you know, and Merida always tries to be a little bit of an educator as well so that, the market, you know, can can discuss these things. That feedback engine is is how we think we get to a smarter place. And again, the luck of being able to talk to CEOs and and people who are deploying capital in their own operations really does give us a, a tremendous amount of feedback that we can use to to further refine our own investing process. But I think the infusion and beverage technology is one area that is really going in hyperspeed right now. Hmm. People are whether it's pre rolls with concentrates or keef or other things. Yeah. You know, whenever I go to a facility, I'll ask them like, what do you, do, how do you have a hard time making X product or whatever it is? And they'll talk about, oh, we've seen a machine, but it doesn't really work. And we've had to re-engineer it. And I do think you're getting a better machine um, ecosystem for the creation because there's more sales. 
So yeah. companies are willing to spend more. When you're willing to spend more on an Agilent or a Thermo Fisher scientific tool, you're going to get more precision equipment. But infusion technology, whether it's beverages or pre-rolls, is really starting to become something where people who want to scale up like a tarantula, which is a pre-roll with oil and keep, you know, yeah. and how it burns. Thinking of the consumer aesthetic around that, I think is going on hyperspeed. And I think it's an area where a lot of small companies, I mean, I, if I judge. That's fascinating stuff, Mitch. It, yeah. it, it, like, when I judge it, based on like how many decks I get, well, I've gotten probably 25 to 50 interesting decks in the last month around this infusion aesthetic. So I, I, you know that people are thinking about it from an entrepreneurial level and entrepreneurs tend to go where they think where they're personally interested, right? Where there's a passion play, but they, where they think there's a market. Right. And I think um, understanding what the markets that will be created, that made versus arrival, right? Think of arrival as the big guys. Think of the made as the, the, the smaller niche players who are trying to fight their way up. So that's one area. Again, the stylized aesthetic on accessories. Uh, we recently made an investment in a, in a glass blower in California that has an incredible um, aesthetic that is well known. And his ability to create personal stylized pieces that people want as showpieces when they host a party, yeah. right? So think of the stylization of, you know, whether it's people's edibles, what they want to do when they host an event, travel, hospitality. I think that whole aesthetic consumption lounges would be in that aesthetic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, why are consumption lounges getting big? Because urban areas are now uh, there. You never had a legalization, an adult use legalization in urban areas. Now. If a guy wants to smoke, you know, flour in his living room, he has to think about the fact that he can get kicked out of his co-op or his condo. For that. Right. Yeah, so yeah. you're having a changing aesthetic. So it could be either consumption lounges as an answer in New York, Chicago, places that you, you know, Los Angeles was the first place to, to, to pass adult use that had a large urban area. But Los Angeles doesn't have a lot of apartments. In fact, 45% of Los Angeles apartments have outdoor space. So you're not going to oh, get wow. that same aesthetic that you're going to get in New York, where someone may have to figure out if they can consume flour, they're going to go to a consumption lounge. So consumption lounges are going to be interesting businesses, and they're going to be stylized. There's going to be women-focused ones. There's going to be men-focused ones. There's going to be minority-focused ones. There are going to yeah. be ones that are speakeasies. And I think right. that's an interesting area that people really aren't focused on. And um, Mitch, I'm because- getting the feeling there's a theme here for you of ancillary businesses, where you know the days oh, of investing in a grower and just that simple thing – You've you may have identified where you want to be. You have your money. You're now finding these niches that you think are going to be big in the next few years. Yeah, I mean, we've done a lot of operating, and we still do that. But like I said, that's a very predictable part of the business. I think I can come on and talk about operating metrics for you guys. I don't think anyone will learn anything. And yeah. I think if you want, there's a lot of people on Twitter that cover the MSO world very well. Yeah. Um, I, we know a lot about it. Obviously, we sell assets to MSOs. Um, in fact, one of the MSO CEOs this morning was like look, you've got your niche. You feed a lot of the MSOs, their, their operators, you sell off your pieces, but then you also serve them ancillary tech. But ancillary tech has always been um, a big part of Merida's. That's how we get to our returns. I mean, you just can't generate outsized returns by investing in big public companies. And that's, we don't even do that really. We mostly get our public positions like Cresco or GTI through selling companies to them. So we're, we're not big, but you know, I, I guess I could talk about the things that are boring to me. I think MSOs are very easy, predictable, and there's a whole world on Twitter that you can follow to get that. But yeah, yes, we don't need we don't need to rehash any of that. Hey, Mitch, I have to relay this. Aren't doing very well right now. But Mitch, I have to relay this just as the comments yeah. are coming. Yeah. Uh, we've got thank yous for Grow Gen for you. We got you, Mitch was on the ground floor, so kudos on that, man. If you. Yeah. If you 
This guy is a bona fide slugger. So those those in the know know it on Twitter, on YouTube, guys. Hit that hit that like button. Hit the retweet. Let everyone know about Mitch because you know Mitch is a gem out here who cranks out big hits. But he's think he's got that big court vision that uh, is you know, and, and he's generous with his thoughts. If you guys yeah. you guys definitely follow him on Twitter, Merida. Um, yes. he's, he's always weighing in with what he's seeing and it's, it's been very helpful to me to see. So I, I appreciate that, Mitch. Oh yeah. You know, I, I do try, you know, the Twitter feed was a little bit, uh, contentious early on. I remember a few Canadians kind of, you know, borderline assaulting me in 2016 <laughs> because of my, my shade on companies that I just thought were bad. I mean, if you know, can trust, I was all over before a year before can trust kind of admitted that they were doing probably worst thing you can do in Canada. Jeez. I was talking that I thought the governance was kind of weak and I just noticed it in their prospectuses. But, you know, I, I will say that the, the, my Twitter feed, you know, the Merida Twitter feed does try to introduce concepts. Again, the concept that we've been talking about a lot that very few people is the medicalization of cannabis and the reimbursement. You know, another case comes down in New York now, uh, McLean versus Time Warner, where Time Warner loses an appeal. They have to reimburse a guy in New York now for his responsible use of, of medical marijuana. And when you look at those cases, again, you know, Scott, to your point about what, where we're looking that's on the front edge, I think the medicalized uh, aesthetic is, is a, a, you know, go to the personal aesthetic, the medicalization of cannabis, the reimbursement that is absolutely inevitably coming. Now, I'm not gonna go on and predict when the regulations come or when that happens, because I think a lot of people have, a, there's a little bit of a fight. You know, I don't wanna get in the civil war on Twitter yeah. about when, you know me about regulation. I've said it before. It doesn't matter when these businesses are growing. They've learned yep. how to swim upstream in an environment with no regulatory push. When it comes, it's great. The businesses will grow. They'll grow faster than people expect. So high class problems aren't the thing that's going to that, that are going to occupy too much space in my brain. Mm -hmm. But I think of, you know, reimbursement is coming. It's absolutely coming. You've already seen judges, you know, sort of administrative judges say you have to reimburse in Maine and in New Hampshire. I'm sorry, in New Mexico. And then they get, these have been affirmed on appeal. So these are now full court cases. These are not administrative workers comp cases anymore. These are now validated cases in appeals court. And when you see that, that tells you what the regulatory zeitgeist is, right? Because a lot of, you know, South Dakota can pass a law that's expansive, but if Christy Nome sues to get that law overturned, which you saw in South Dakota recently, you're, you're really not, so you have to understand where the regulatory friction is, even if the regulations pass. That's why whatever happens at the federal level is going to take years to filter down into the states. It's not going to be a panacea. Yeah. So you have to invest in companies that are exploding regardless of what the regulatory uh, environment is. So three more areas I want to highlight that I think yeah. people should keep an eye on. Home grow technology. Mm -hmm. New Frontier recently did a study on home grow, a huge survey, big numbers. 5,000 people was a lot of respondents to a survey. Um, and the numbers we saw on home grow were staggering. I know I tweeted about it a little bit, Scott. I kind of teased it. Um, but they estimate that there could have been up to 5 million pounds of cannabis grown out in what is deemed home grows wow. last year in the United States. Huge number, huge number. And Profound. it tells us a lot about that personal aesthetic. Going back to the, my theme of the aesthetic that's evolving because the consumer is evolving and maturing. So the digital desktop, automated tools for the operator, automated tools for the distribution companies, for d delivery, understanding the consumer, understanding how to reach them. Ad tech would be in that. Obviously we're a heavy investor in ad tech through New Frontier, through uh, Media Gel, through a, a few of the private companies in our portfolio. Yeah. Huge perspective on how people like MSOs reach the consumer that has never done a lot of online. So Weed Maps, 
you know, oh, we can actually talk about my SPAC a little bit too. Yeah, yes, let's too. talk about Lead it. Maps went public, Leafly, yeah. right? We obviously announced Leafly, which I told you guys when we when we did something, I, I hope it, it, it would reflect Merida's ethos of understanding the future, understanding the consumer, being part of a fundamentally huge company in, you know, Leafly has been more important than many companies in helping cannabis move forward. They basically wrote the article that helped us get out of the vape crisis, right? They wrote an article about Honeycutt and about the what was really happening that created the vape crisis and how it wasn't legal operators. So the journalism at Leafly, which they very rarely get credit for, has been phenomenal. And we are so excited to be able to support a company like that. But more importantly, we're giving them the fuel to now go out and help further evolve that digital desktop, to help Amazing. further evolve the tools that dispensaries will use to reach people, how consumers are going to order. So when you look at Weed Maps and Leafly, they're definitely changing the face of how consumers will interact with the end, you know, the end seller, the dispensary, or even in some cases to direct to consumer that's coming from a brand perspective that you're now seeing in California. So we're excited to be on the front of the digital desktop evolution. And then the fifth place is normalized tools with quality control, quality assurance, and downstream production technologies. That is happening very quickly, but you only know that if you go in a facility. So if you're on Twitter and you're talking about trading and fundamentals and all that stuff, that's great. But you're not walking through facilities that are day, hearing about these technologies, getting the decks, reading through them, getting feedback from what we think is the future horizon. And I think, you know, we have an advantage and us and other funds, we can invest for that future. We're, we, we are actually being expected to invest for that future. So I don't have to worry about the, the reporting cycle every quarter. No, yeah. I, I, Mitch, I, if I'm invested it, in the right place, my returns are going to be huge if I, if I hit these normalized sort of ideas. Mitch, on that last niche you mentioned, are there yeah. public companies or there ways we can invest in that trend? Or at this stage, it's too early. They're all private. Yeah, that's probably the most frustrating thing, I think, when I talk to people in cannabis, where they say, well, I'm in Tilray or I'm in a free. And I'm like, well, you're not really investing in U.S. cannabis. You know, you're investing <laughs> in, in yeah. your your ability to articulate a vision of the of the full spectrum of what's happening in cannabis is really limited right now. So I think your ability to invest in like beverage technology or other things is limited until the laws change and some of these companies go public, right? And I think one of the things that, you know, there was another dynamic that I might I wanted to mention, I think that's actually hurt cannabis a little bit or the, the MSOs is that there's just more inventory, but the same people are still buying the stocks, right? More people are looking and, and, and trying to learn about cannabis, but they can't really buy these stocks. And then you have five or six more public companies that, that eat into that existing ecosystem. And I think, you know, I do look, I do think regulatory changes would help, but, and I've always said descheduling is the easiest way to get to that regulatory change. Yep. If they want to do a, a really complicated law, that's probably not a great idea. And I, you know, I, I think I've, I've done a few, you know, I've, I've tweaked uh, Chuck Schumer a little bit on Twitter. I'm a New Yorker, you know, we're yeah. allowed to do that. But yeah, yeah, the yeah. truth is stop tweeting and just get the law done. Right. So, yeah. I, I, you a know, lot I of bluster there. The cheap applause lines are so weak on the regular. Uh, you know what? You've nailed it. This whole cheap applause, just like, just like, oh, just give me a little. And it's just, it, it's wearing thin on investors, obviously. But to your point, it's investors just got to take a step back and just wait, wait for it actually all to come to fruition because you start to follow these like, you know, cheap applause tweets. It's just like, but it, it, grinds affects, you, it right? affects people in real life. There yeah. are real patients who, the more efficient the market gets, the cheaper the product will be, and more people will then go into the legal market. Yeah. Right. The more people that go into the legal market, the more prices will come down. The more prices come down, the more MSOs will innovate their products. The more they innovate their products, the more medical products, 
there'll be a divergence between adult use products and medical products. You know, you don't want to wait for, for pharma to come and fix, you know, the opioid crisis through cannabis. It's going to take years for that to happen. So the innovation of cannabis has to keep moving forward. And you do, look, there are some regulatory hurdles. I'm not, in, in no way am I going to, you know, take away from the fact that that is a real thing. Yeah. But the truth is this market is moving forward in a way and the stocks just absolutely do not reflect it in any way, shape or form. But Scott, Mitch, I think- we've had cycles before, uh, yeah. you know, in the past, and that's been outside of regulatory change. Like I wouldn't say regulation has driven these cycles. I'm curious, right. like, so we're in a trough now. Do you have a view on, say, regulations don't change? We take those out of the equation. What's something you think could kind of get stocks moving again? Because the fundamentals seem like a catalyst because they're getting better, but they're obviously right. not doing the job. Is there something in particular because you've seen prior troughs and, and you know, up cycles? What do you think could get it going if it's not regulation? Yeah, the way I think I view it, it, it well, regulation obviously is the the quote unquote big thing. But I do think... Every time, you know, people, I, if, if, if I can use like a personal anecdote to kind of reflect what really um, I see on the front, you know, I have a conversation with investors. I probably have seven investment calls a day with investors, new investors who are interested that are coming from a variety of different um, uh, industries and they'll, they'll ask certain questions and, and that kind of informs you the, to what the regular world thinks outside of yeah. cannabis. You know, and I think one question I always get is, you know, you have a track, Merida has a track record now. So I'm like, well, what's different now? Why are you interested in Merida now than you weren't three years ago? Well, you have a track record now. Look at the track record of performance for MSOs over the last four or five quarters. I mean, I think Scott, actually, it's more subtle. I, I don't think there's a big, I don't think there's the um, dinosaur killing meteorite that's going to come and <laughs> save stocks. Right. I really don't. And that's unfortunate. I, I know that's a little bit of a letdown. I'm sure there's you know, 20 people's heads just exploded that they were waiting for that moment. But the truth is, I think it's about track record. I think it's about putting earnings on the table every quarter. I actually think it's interesting to watch Grogen as a good example too. They, they slightly made their guidance more conservative, but their numbers were still just in any way, shape or form. There's no way to look at their numbers being anything other than insane. Yeah. Versus the rest of the stock market, just killing it. Right. Just, I mean, they're basically like a company that owns hydroponic retail and supply. And we, you know, I've already given the backstory 50 times of how I saw yeah. something and how Home Depot wasn't going to get it in. And everyone threw shade at me thinking that I was buying something Home Depot was going to crush. And, you know, I think yeah. we proved that we kind of, that we did the information work to, to really dig in. But yeah. um, when you look at Grogen's numbers there, and there's no friction to their growth, zero. So, and you can see that through the metrics, the performance metrics. Look at MSOs. There's zero friction to their growth in Illinois, in New York, even in California, you're starting to see some green sprouts, obviously tough wholesale market, Yeah. you know, just because of how much illegal product is staying home because it's not being shipped because of COVID. You know, I went through the COVID, how COVID has disrupted a lot of the shipping Yeah. and that cannabis just can't find as much room. It's too expensive to ship it now. So it's, Wow. You know, but that's the, the, that's where I think valuation plays in because even the best business, if it's priced to perfection, even if right. results are amazing, but they're less amazing than people think, well, then that's when stock prices go down. Well, so but that's I'm the trying, point about track record, yeah. right? That's that's why, like, every quarter I get so, you know, everyone announces earnings and then you're like, okay, we have 90 days to blow people's heads off again. And that's what keeps happening. So I think, you know, this is so this is the way I would think of it. You know, when you go into a casino and you know, early on, you're ice cold, you see, maybe it's craps or blackjack, you sit down and you have your first drink and you feel like, 
you know, you, you're ready for a, good, a, a fun time. I'm not saying for people who go in casinos every day, maybe they don't feel like this, but for, you know, it's going to be an experience. <laughs> We're not talking Plus. about degenerate casino. No, no, no. Right. We're talking MVP about the fancy time. guys. Me and some CEOs are going to sit down. We're going we're gonna to check our math skills on the craft table. And, you know, the waitress comes over, but it takes a while because everyone's just getting to the casino. Everyone's ordering drinks. It's slow. The drinks are slow. And you're like, okay. You know, then an hour or two later, you're starting to heat up. And the waitress, she's getting there quicker because it's also the herd is being thinned out a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, now we're at a place in cannabis where the herd has been thinned. And now it's midnight. And there's not as many people. They've lost their money or they... There, you know, no one's drinking. And now it feels like the waitress is over your shoulder and you barely took a sip of your first drink. That's going to happen in cannabis. Right. right. It's going to turn quickly where people go, you know what? I can trust that Cresco and GTI and Truly and Air and everyone's going to hit their numbers because they've been hitting their numbers. Yeah. And it's predictable. Yeah. yeah so I that's where I talk valuation on it. Like yeah. I talk valuation, but underlying valuation is human psychology. So where people start changing, you know, towards your view, you see that in valuations have stopped going down and maybe they're going back up or if they even stop right. going down, then you have these companies growing really fast. What does that mean? The stock price keeps up with the growth. At the end of the you know, day. there's also a lot of other things. Um, we try to look, you know, I, I read a lot about human psychology and human dynamic. And yeah. um, I mean, the Merida team, we, we do focus a lot on what makes macro trends move. And I think there's another big thing that is really unexplored that's affecting cannabis. And some people would say it's a positive is the U.S. economy and how these stimulus payments and unemployment payments. I mean, I know delivery companies and I know other large companies that are trying to scale are having trouble finding good employees because people are being paid to stay home. Now, someone, some people would say, well, they need more money to spend. That's true. But at the same time, COVID has definitely shaped some of how people think of stocks. Think of the stock market right now. If the stock market, if the Dow was, was dropped from 35,000 to 31,000, people would fly to quality. You know what the quality is in growth right now? It's cannabis. Yeah. It's the most predictable, high growth place in the world. You just, I don't care what anyone says. It's just the numbers bear out. You and demand buy- is counter cyclical. When people are hoarding their money, they buy booze and they're buying cannabis. And so they would do that again. I would argue that it's not even cyclical. Cannabis is it's it's unidirectional. Yeah. Can, yeah. You're finding new consumption, but old consumption isn't going anywhere. So Mitch, I, I have a question. Just I, I thought that would be really interesting in terms of infusions and just like yeah, how much does that increase just a total addressable market dollar wise, right? Because now you're starting to get into premium products that just were never part of the legacy market in a material way, mass produced, and yeah. now you're introducing these dynamic products that that will obviously have much higher price points, much larger margins with that. I'm just trying to think like, you know, coming back to one of your earlier points that you stated, you know, what we're dealing with is a known market that's coming over, but it's these additives that just, I found that fascinating. Yeah. I love to hear you kind of flesh that yeah, out. Yeah, so I'm, tr- I'm, I'm, I'm about, we're about to make a few investments on that side. So, um, you know, so Scott, you were really kind before to say we're generous with the thoughts. I try to be generous with my thoughts, but at the same time, you know, I try not to talk too much about things that I'm about to do. Yeah. Try yeah, to yeah, talk yeah, about yeah. what I've done. You know, it's yeah, so yeah. so let's just say there is some self there there's some self-aggrandizement happening here. But you know, if you can if you can suffer that for a second, you know, there's there's some nuggets here. First, um, Thomas, I think one of the things we're noticing on the evolving consumer is that these these interesting products do get a lot of play early on in the dispensary level. They get it, it's almost like they get immediate adoption. People are willing to try anything cannabis, which is so unique. Right. It's like if you go into a liquor store and you're a, a Grey Goose drinker, you're not just going to try like a random vodka infused with like gin. 
It's like no. not happening. No, no. <laughs> cannabis. Yeah, well, you know right. what? I, I was, I was in the, I was in the Jameson aisle, and I, I got the Jameson drinker, and I see all this other bullshit. I'm like, what is this shit? I'm yeah, like, no. Like, if anything, you're almost like poo pooing it. You're, yeah, like, you're disgusted, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Like, like if you're a whiskey drinker, you're not gonna get like you're not gonna buy the pre-packaged whiskey sour mix with cherry. It's right. just not gonna happen. Yeah, right? Exactly. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. But in cannabis, you find sampling to be much higher than in other industries. In fact, it's almost, which means products have a chance to get adopted, which means dispensaries are often willing. And, you know, we're talking about markets where it's not vertical. In vertical markets, like in Illinois, it's going to be tough to introduce a new niche product because like you have big guys who own dispensaries and they don't really need your products to fill. So it would be hard for you to get them on the shelves, basically. So much harder. So so we're really talking about California, Oregon, Washington, and, and Colorado for the most part right now, right? Actually, Canada, you know, our original investment in Premium 5 was all about the fact that that ecosystem encouraged a niche, you know, and the, basically was considered the best concentrates maker, right, Premium 5, to, to actually buy raw product from one guy, create their product, and sell it. You don't really have that in a New York and a Pennsylvania as much, right? You're not going to find the niche manufacturer just yet, which is why in the U.S., one of the unique things is a lot of the licensing deals and contract manufacturing is the way to do business in the U.S., Right. And you've seen a lot of that with like a cookies where they're not they're asset light. They're kind of like lending their name to operations and expertise, but not doing anything on the ground. Right. So that that's happening. Um, definitely. But when you look at infusions, what I find interesting is pre-rolls are obviously a huge category, right? A manufacturer product, you don't have to do anything to it. You buy, you pack it open, you, you light it. You've got, you know, 20 people going to get high. Infusions are for those people who are like, well, I've been doing that for a long time. Look at this new product. Let me try it. So the sampling especially sampling for people who are heavy consumers who normally were legacy market, illegal market users is huge. They're going to the dispensary and trying everything, right? They're trying beverages. They're seeing where they can get their face. And so I think that's an interesting way for, so if you're a a niche manufacturer, even if you have a a tool that can help you infuse Keef or oil, or you might have a chance to sell a thousand machines. So that's why, Merida, we're, we're so much more on the bleeding edge sometimes because you have to understand what people are trying to fill and what are they seeing on the ground that makes them think there's a market for this tool or for this product. And that's the information that we're really sucking in. So what, what is the information we're seeing? Sampling at the dispensary level is huge. Right. So products have a chance. New products have a chance to really succeed. I mean, Merida has a, a, a cell phone product. One of our partners launched called SIFT, which is like high really high quality flour that's been pre-ground up for people so that if you want to roll your own, you don't have to go and open up a jar and destroy a beautiful bud, right? That jar appeal. So we were trying to serve some because we saw a lot of people want to skip the part where they have to take the jar and turn it into something. So you're seeing, and you know, every once in a while, we're going to launch our own company because we have, have operating partners on the ground, but that personal aesthetic, it, it, it's, it's actually the future of cannabis, which is yeah. the, the evolving consumer wants strong products, but you're right. You know, what's funny. These strong products have higher margins, much yeah. higher margins. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. more manufacturing that goes into it, the higher margin. So companies like Air, Cresco, GTI are going to be able to just flip a switch, truly flip a switch and make 20% more margins. Show yeah. me another industry where billion dollar, you know, companies with billions of dollars of revenue get to flip a switch and make more revenue by doing nothing. Yeah. Yeah. That's the uniqueness of cannabis. Again, that is not in any way priced into the future of these stocks in any way. It's Mitch, just not there. Is there a certain product that you're talking about that is showing partic- particularly good growth for you? I mean, as you talk about these different ones, is there one area yeah, we infusion, should keep an eye on? 
absolutely infuse pre-rolls companies that are focused on, on pre-rolls and infusions like, um, you know, because you can't, and you can't manufacture them easy. So these, these companies, and I've been in a few facilities this year where it's absolutely a part of it, right? The research, the R and D that they're spending to get to the best product. Remember bigger companies have bigger budgets can spend more time R and D for products. So when the products get launched, they're more mature, they're better. In fact, you know, one of the things I found interesting is, is, there's three companies that I've now run into that have employee programs. So employees sign up to basically do R and D on the products and, and quality tests and tell them what they like. And that, that feeds into like Leafly, right? Why, why is Leafly an interesting electronic tool is because it has a lot of information on strains. It has, a, and people want information now they want terpene information. Yeah. They want to understand which products because strain names don't mean so, much. So m- terpene profiles do. Yeah. Is, is like, is the idea with Leafly just because you, you you know you've got the largest data set, you've got the, you got the most reviews? Like it's just that it, it, that is insurmountable. Like that really is the moat here, and and it just keeps building. Yeah, on is that, it right? is it a Google Play in some way? On, some on way, cannabis? yeah. I think you know I think Yoko is probably the CEO of Leafly is a better person to talk about this. But my yeah. general sense as the person who's obviously putting their reputation you know through our merit merger through our SPAC. And Aaron Edelheit, by the way, if you don't watch, if you don't follow him on Mindset Capital, has done a great job of following Leafly, Glasshouse, okay. some other companies. But Aaron's an amazingly smart, uh, savvy uh, analyst on, on these things. You so know, my, my mindset are, is is that a is that a sell side shop or? Yeah, uh, uh, he's. I, I'm not sure what he does. He might run his own fund. Okay, but, got it. Okay. But he's he's great on Twitter. He he right. does really flesh out stories in a great way, and I find him a great resource myself. Um, you know, when, when one of the things that I, I, I think is interesting in, in these infusions or other things is R&D is getting better. So you're going to be getting more products. Obviously, more manufacturing means better margin. But what, what's most interesting to me is when you look at the with Leafly is the fact that they're in every dispensary desktop. And so is WeMaps, right? People, the dispensary is using both. It's not an if and. It's not. They both are, are virtually on every desktop. And when you look at the evolution, it's you're on every desktop. What other tools can you offer an operator? But more importantly, you're touching the consumer, the funnel. So Leafly has 16 million unique people every month pinging their site. So they have a chance to capture those people, whether they, they have, they, you know, they're not using programmatic ads yet. Ad tech is an area I have a lot of experience in my, in my previous career. So they're not offering programmatic ads that make a lot of money yet. They'll be able to do that. But more importantly, the take rate when people order, if you just extrapolate how much will be curbside or delivery ordered, through the we, the Leafly and Weedmaps platforms, yeah, yeah. and what the take rate is, you can extrapolate huge revenue in the future. And that that's just simple. You know, again, you want to fill up the shotgun with birdshot and walking in from the target. There's a predictability to some of what we do. And then there's times where you really have to have a, a distinct intellectual and information sense to really do some of the investments that we do. Like, um, you know, another area that I would say that we're heavily getting involved in is genetics. We think genetics is- okay. Go to every grower in every facility. Again, R&D on the consumer means you need raw inputs that give you better inputs. And we're going to have cannabinoid isolations and terpene profiles. That's all going to happen. And that's going to bring new people into the fold. Yeah. But the existing people want different products and they want to understand what they're consuming. And that comes down, you know, and genetic normality is something that, and, and being able to grow from seed and not just rely on clones is going to be something that's going to be the next rent land race. And why, know, is that, kids, why is that, Mitch? Like, it, it, like obviously, you know, well, seeds are just better ways to grow. I mean, any any like tissue culture is is a good technology, and yeah. cloning is a good technology. But when you can grow from a seed and get that tap root, that stronger root, okay, 
You're just going to, you, if I said to, if you went to every grower in the country and said, I can give you 5,000 feminized seeds or you can do 5,000 clones and it's the identical genetic profile. Yeah. If a grower isn't taking seeds, I'd be shocked. Right. A good grower. Mm, you know, yeah, it's, yeah. It, you want to grow from seed if you can. Right. And especially if you know what's in that seed. And I think genetics is the next place. Remember, Monsanto wasn't evil till they started making a, <laughs> um, a pesticide that only worked. Right. It was like a lock and a key that only worked That's with their right. products. Yeah. Right? Monsanto yeah. helped elevate a lot of, of, you know, agriculture up until a point. And then it's that, you know, so it kind then of has locked, to do then all it locked you into their agriculture. Right. Yeah, yeah. And, and also when the pollen blew and you were down the street and now you had to use their pesticides, even though you weren't even buying <laughs> yeah, Then you got sued. <laughs> yeah. The yeah. lawsuit followed <laughs> the pollen to the air. Like when, when you turn into a, a a Simpsons episode, you know it's game over. I mean, there's some relevance to some of the stuff that's going on in in biotech today, but you know, or or let's just say that you know, on the on the other front, I, I try not to to get into anything that can even remotely be considered political. So, yeah, 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 yeah. but Mitch, talking about all these products, I'm curious that from a public market investor point of view, yeah. do you think that it's you win by owning the big guys because a lot of this stuff is going to end up filtering through their organization and they're going to capture the value. So it's not that we can buy these individual companies that then get taken out by a Cureleaf. It's to right. some extent, Cureleaf's working on these things behind the scenes and it'll then just benefit their bottom line. Well, I mean, obviously the, the, the companies that do more R and D are probably gonna have more market share long-term, right. And be able to uh, push that value through all of their channels. So having a lot of channels is important, obviously doing R&D. Um, I do think there is a public way to play it. Look, you're gonna win in MSOs long-term. If you put, if you bought MSOs, not the ETF, I, I don't think ETFs are a great way to play the cannabis market. I really don't, because I do think that there's a lot of differentiation in, in, um, in cannabis itself. And sure. also I could show you mathematically how ETFs are, are an imperfect vehicle for something once it's liquidity is there. But, if, yeah. and I mean, broadly, not the cannabis ETS per se, yeah. right? They can be fine for people who just wanna buy things. But if you bought the 20 top MSOs by market cap today, their stocks and didn't touch them for two years, I'd be shocked if you're not deeply, deeply in the money to return profile that given the trough that we're in right now. So but that's, what, that's the quote, everybody. That's right. the money quote. That's the Mitch looking deep. We're talking, you know, and this is the way everyone should think about it, right? You, you, you have places to put chips on the board, and this is a massive area of the board. Take that two-year view. Yeah, that, that's no, but also I think it's it's also interesting, Scott, because I do think that that some of what is being built, you know, I I don't know if I said this to you before, but I've said this a fair amount publicly. So if I'm re repeating myself, just bear with me. I think when you're banking a bet on an MSO, if you want to differentiate them, is you have to look at how they allocate capital now. You have to look at who is actually doing the most R&D, not just they're all doing R&D, but who's doing the most? Who is taking the most chances with products that, again, knowing that a lot of the consumer is a sampling, you know, a person's going to go in and buy $50 of what they like, and they're going to buy $20 of something, something that they're just trying. Because cannabis, that's what's so great about this, this plant is, I mean, and let's just like for a second just bask in the amazingness of this world where this is becoming legal and people aren't going to jail. Yeah, yeah you know yeah. they are. But like just think of the world like just from a pure it's a better world that cannabis will be legal eventually in all ways shapes and forms. Yeah. It's an economic opportunity. It's a way to raise up. You know, recently our our minority program uh the I2 accelerator that we did a while back 
we just had a great, we finally opened up the school, the vocational school that we had invested in for minority and participants. It's a minority owned school called Higher Learning in Michigan because of COVID, it couldn't open. So for a year, we're very thankful to finally get that open, you know, and he's thankful that he was backed by Merida because we had the capital to keep giving him more capital while he went through the COVID kind of can't open in real life. Yeah, yeah. You know, think of the world, but think of- Congrats on that, Mitch. That's, oh, nice. that's great. great. And the IQ program has been a huge success. We are so excited. We have a few more. We're going to do another program eventually. You know, it's a little overwhelming to get 100, 200 applications, but we're going to do it again. Um, it was a huge success. Those companies, one of them- is in talks to get bought. I mean, it's been a wild success and we are excited to, to do anything we can to elevate people who have been hurt by the, the war on drugs. So- Mitch, Mitch, I just wanted to ask if people want to get, yeah. if people want to follow more about what you're doing, what Merit is doing, yeah. what, what would you recommend? What's the best way to, to be keep in touch with you guys? Well, obviously Twitter has been good. I mean, I think getting on our, we have a, a newsletter that we put out every couple of weeks called a spotlight where we're highlighting sort of articles about Merit portfolio companies or things we're doing. But, you know, the truth is we, we've gotten so busy. I, I, you know, these commentaries I used to write, it's hard to write eight of them a year. Yeah, they take I'm, time. I'm down, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I haven't written. I have one. You know what? I had one that was done and then COVID hit. Then I wrote a COVID one. Then I had another one that was done and then it was a capital crisis. Like, you know, the world, it takes me two months to research and do these. But I do have one about the heavy consumer called Bring on the Heavies that is basically done. It's coming out in the next two weeks. It's all about that evolving consumer who's coming from the illegal market. And this, so this is the blog way. on your website where people will yeah, find or, or write info at Merida Cap and say, I'd like to be added to your yeah. newsletter and to the yeah. commentary list and follow us on Twitter. And you know, we're, we try to do a lot of media or a little bit of media at least. It's been tough because this summer we've just been really busy, you know, head down. We launched our fourth fund, yeah. which again, we're SEC registered now. Um, I mean, we are, we're trying to build, you know, the, a really high quality place for people to articulate their a vision of cannabis investment. But going back to what you asked before, by the way, about the public articulation, a good allocator of capital is going to buy companies. You know, when like I think of a GTI buying a Bebo, I think of uh, of a Cresco when they bought um, when they bought Origin House, they got Cal. I think of other large MSOs that are touching California. You know, when you touch California, you get California genetics, you get California, you know, mindset, you get, yeah, yeah, you yeah. get ideas, you get innovation. California is a great innovator, Colorado, great innovator. So I think of the capital allocation of these bigger guys, these MSOs, they're all, I would be shocked if an MSO that doesn't own three to five limited licenses and limited, I mean, Pennsylvania, you know, you know, the limited licenses, yeah, I, yeah. I don't want to waste any time. When you look at when, when, when an Ascend Wellness, like there's no chance their earnings won't be blowout for the next four quarters. And five, and and then eventually they'll get mature and they'll have to predict and they'll have to hit their numbers and sure, but there'll be new markets, right? And then U.S. companies and I predicted on yours, I think that someone was going to go to Europe. Boris Jordan goes to Europe. There's yep. the U.S. companies are going to dominate the space. Yep. And that's why when people were doing these niche things in other countries, I said to them, that's fine, but what's your U.S. If you don't have a U.S. So presence, then it's going to be tough to compete because eventually US companies are gonna be ones allocating money. And let me just say it once for everyone. If you're invested in the five or six Canadian LPs, <laughs> yeah, okay, it's they're not really question. investing in cannabis, okay? <laughs> I'm just saying it. Like, I'm not right. trying to tweak anyone. Those Drop are good the companies. I do, think, yeah. I do think they're actually getting better, but like- So, so can I They're not starting a from bit? a place of strength. They're so, not starting from a place of strength. They're, 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 they have to now justify the billions they spent to figure out what their real business model should be. Yeah, yeah. It, it, so, so the question is, and I mean, there's a ton of questions. Everyone's pumped up. Um, one, I'll one stay of the for as long was, as you guys want. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Support. I no, no, for you. Do, and I need something to fill my time because I'm hungry right now. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, so yet, you, so one of the questions was specifically, uh, you know, if we get safe, say plus or interstate commerce, uh, uh, what does Mitch uh, ultimately see happening to the Canadian LPs? Like just maybe unboxing, just, I, I know all of the time I ever yeah. see them on any sort of uh, CNBC or whatever, they're always just like, yeah, America, America. US companies, I think Canadian LP, the, the concept that a Canadian LP is gonna pick up some huge MSO for cheap, I mean, it's like, you know, there's a famous, do you remember during Hurricane Katrina, the, the guy who was doing the press releases, uh, I'm sorry, the press conferences, General Honori, Russell Honori, he's a Lieutenant General in the Army. And he goes, you're stuck on stupid, son. I'm sorry, I don't mean to out you, but you're stuck on stupid. Stop telling me, anyone who DMs me or tells me that I'm, listen, LPs are not getting a discount in buying companies that have built amazing businesses in the US. It's just not yeah, happening. Yeah, yeah. Nope. So I don't want to answer any more of that. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, that's all they talk about, right? Stupid. Yeah, going into the US, that's the only conversation coming out of out of, out of there. And that's not right. a silver bullet because then you're in the US. Well, there's other people in the US too. Good luck to you. Yeah. And, um, and they've already, they've literally been interacting with the consumer for years now at this point. Like GTI is not a new company. I, I, I applied for a license in Illinois. In fact, when I went to Cresco's facility, it was actually kind of like, the first time I've been in that part of Illinois, because I applied in Peru in 2014 on a company called Agricare. In fact, I was thinking of taking all of the different companies I've applied or that have won or lost, taking all the covers of their application and putting it into an NFT and selling it. I don't know. What do you guys You got think? it. You got it. Man. There's no, <laughs> there's no bad NFT is, is my view here. <laughs> that might be, it's not, look, I understand it's not a pet rock and it's not my, my favorite uh, the statue over there of a, a monkey reading Darwin and scratching his head. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, you know, I, I, I like irony, but I will say that, um, you know, it, it's, I, I've applied for a lot of licenses. You win, you lose That's the respect I have for MSOs who have done this. I don't think people, if you're a Canadian and you're buying in a local Alberta store, you have no idea what the U S operators had to been through to get to where they are. You really have no idea. And I think that's that's what's going to be the future. When you start to realize that these companies are good companies, they're well run. Um, and obviously, U.S. companies have done a better job of their CEOs staying in the seat. I mean, that's another thing you could just judge it by. You know, well, um, you know, you, you you look at like you know Aurora, the class action. You look at all this yeah. stuff, and it's just like it just feels like you go, went from a very amateurish environment that was all based on pump to capital efficiency. Yeah, yeah. it was capital efficiency. There was it was a valley. Right, you know, U.S. U.S. companies had to climb a mountain, whereas Canadian companies had a valley. Valleys collect water, mountains don't. And I think, um, nice. you know, there was just it was just a place of plentitude for for Canadian companies. Now they've grown. I think a free utility is an interesting merger. You know, I think it's a yep. good company, and I think Constellation knows what to do with Canopy now. Okay. But you know, it's hard. It took two and a half billion dollars, three billion dollars to figure that out. Yeah, they're climbing back with with Canopy. It feels like yeah, absolutely no. They're going to have a market, but they have to be in the U.S. eventually, and they're going to be competing against people who. Who have their own muscles, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, I, I do think the, the one big takeaway I've had over the last couple of weeks was watching stocks go down is anxiety is is something that builds on itself. And, you know, it's great if you, it'd be great if we could all buy things and just have them go up, right, up into the right. Yeah, 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 yeah. But the truth is, if it was that easy, then I've never seen, I mean, whether it's Bitcoin or, or I was in flash trading, day trading early on. Mm -hmm. in, in, you know, before it even became a thing in, in 1999, 2000. And me and my brother had a metric. It was like a very common sense metric. If people who are coming in off the street and making money on something, eventually it's going to end and it's going to end ugly. And when, I, when, when people who aren't deep on information 
and de- and aren't like working hard to grind through information and have a per- perspective when they can make money just throwing darts yeah it, it it can look good for a while but eventually it ends and i think of that in emerging markets you guys see that there's no market that just that you can just make money on easily that's sustainable long term no. for every investor to make money equally yeah and so you know i i think that when you look at cannabis it's all about the information consumption and long term the highest returns whether it's on the private side, obviously, is through building companies that have the, the right addressable markets and have a perspective on it, and then selling those companies to the bigger MSOs or other public companies. So Scott, there will be a future of a widely articulated cannabis market. We're just not there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So uh, maybe in the shorter term, it's going to be these big MSOs are going to buy these smaller guys or do the R&D to build it. But eventually, when it matures, there will be real segments, all of these different segments and leaders in each of them, probably, right? Yeah. I mean, MSOs will just swallow. You know, I I don't think there's another market where you have an analog like this, but I think Curaleaf will be an acquirer. They bought Select, you know, Grassroots. I think you're going to have acquisitions that bring interesting pieces. But that is the future of acquisitions, I don't think, is going to be these large mergers. It could be that. I think it's going to be more companies looking to fill their consumer segments or their, or their supply chain in a more holistic way. And, and, you know, we've seen one of the MSOs is now offering a labeling technology. I think that's interesting. I don't know if it's the most efficient use of their, of their capital, but I think it's interesting that they think they've discovered something other MSOs can profit from and they're willing to be the seller, right? Usually the arms, usually combatants aren't arms merchants, right? Yeah. It's the the Tutsis weren't selling weapons to the Hutus in Rwanda, right? Right. But in but cannabis is a different landscape, right? It's this not- is, This is interesting war. that they now have the capital, you know, where they can do some R&D because this is an amazing time for them to do R&D and you're kind of, you create these businesses that you could split off and sell to someone else. And so there's yeah, a lot of value that can be created right now. That's what, that's what I'm saying. I think the stock market has completely skewed how much these companies have matured and evolved and have great businesses yeah. and are doing more R&D and have the capital they need. They're not out there trying to find capital right now on the streets. It's not 2016 yeah. or 17. So I think people, the stocks do not affect the operating in any way. You know, I, I let off there. I'm saying it again. It's just, yeah. if you're an investor in these companies, you don't, their stock price isn't, people aren't sitting in their offices and melting down our stock price. Yeah, yeah. They're just like, we have capital. We're just operating. And I think the people who have the courage to step into these stocks at these levels are going to be very well rewarded. And then, you know, because these stocks are all, they they all long-term are going to be much higher. They are, you know, I don't see a scenario where they're, if, if the performance is reflected in stock price, let me just, that's the one caveat. Mitch, I have a question for you. And I think this answer, part of that, you know, in lieu of, of legislation, one, something that's curious here, we're, you know, we're in cannabis stocks, U.S. cannabis stocks, it's still predominantly retail. And now the valuations are getting so interesting and growth, are, growth levels are so high. A, why hasn't Canadian institutional stepped in? That's easy. Like, you know what I mean? Like there, there's a huge institutional amount of, of money market in Canada and secondarily right. global, like developed Europe. I, I'm just kind of curious if you've heard rumblings, like what, why hasn't institutional X us kind of started to sniff yeah. into this? I actually called an old relationship of mine who, um, who, I don't know if it's still called Kez Poe, but, uh, but you know, he gave me an interesting perspective. And, and again, I feel, I can't say this enough. I feel lucky to be able to talk to other fund CEOs, other MSOs. And also because of my background in finance, you know, I can call people who are watching this from the front edges. I feel lucky every day that people are very open and have, we have great conversations and that does lead to like insight that you need. But, um, 
you know, what he told me was Canadian, Canadian actually companies still can't invest in things that aren't federally legal. Mm-hmm. So the Canadian companies can't really step into the U.S. companies. They can they can't even buy them on the CSC because in, in theory, the fundamental underlying business is illegal from a federal perspective. Okay. So there is a huge, huge headwind in the face of U.S. companies until they're – if the U.S. government descheduled tomorrow, wow, it would require right. nothing to be done on the state level. Yeah. You know, and all of a sudden, the buying would be so epic. So I don't think people really appreciate how much institutions, even in Canada where it's, it counts legal. Yeah. If you're buying a U.S. company, you're buying a company where that is doing something that is illegal under its own jurisdictional – Purview. So that's still impacting the decision Absolutely. by Canadian investors. Wow. 100%. 100%. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. Like, and, and Canadian, you know, I, like having, you know, having managed money at a big, the, the, the largest asset manager at DD, just the, the amount of conservatism is just insane. Like, you know what I mean? You'll, like, I was explaining it when we, when we did our uh, spaces last week. Just, you know, you'll, you, you, you won't share on the upside on the, if, you know, if it all works out, it's great, but right. everyone wins. But if right. it goes down, you're going to wear it completely. And it's that kind of skewed it, you know, asymmetric win loss that PMs are like, yeah. I don't know about you, that. You know, it's, it's, if I, I wish I, you know, I wish I did more video in 15, 16 and 17 when I did all these investor meetings. Cause now you go in and a large institutional investor is like, I get it. It, it I would love to do it. I just yeah. can't. Right. It, it, it's not like, Oh, look at this weed guy, you know, totally different. Like they get it now. Yeah, they, they appreciate it. it now. They still just can't play. Exactly. And I, and I hear that from us institutional Canadian institutional. Um, there was a British company that said, you know, we don't really have the same problem. Um, and then, you know, at the same time, he's like, but we're not doing it yet because it's also, you have that little, little bit of a lemmings, you know, issue. So yeah, so that 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 makes me lick my lips. It should make other investors lick their lips. When when that's the psychology of the market, that's when you want to be buying something. The thing is, you just have to get through the stock prices, right? If you start and just look at stock prices, you're like, oh, oh, not touching this thing. You right. got to dig a bit deeper on this. Charts look really see. ugly too. Yeah, you know, right. that's the thing. The, the charts right. look look terrible because um, you basically have had down to the right, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. for four months. And I think what, what's funny is, is when there's a buyer strike in cannabis, the, the, the movement is so severe that it, it's you're breaking through technical levels, even though, you know, we used to, when we used to day trade, we used to look at like where the most volume was, because that was a place where buyers and sellers were, were jousting, right? Where there was yeah, an yeah, equality yeah. of buyers and sellers. The thing in cannabis is not liquid enough to really get like a view on where the, the real technical indicator should be. Right. So, you know, like, like people on Twitter, like Todd Harrison, who, who does a lot of fundamental analysis, like there's not enough volume where you really know if these technical indicators are real technical indicators or if it's just a place where that day the trader who would have been buying just wasn't at his desk. Right. You know, it's like, oh, there was a buyer strike. This thing went down a point. Yeah. Well, now it's up 58 cents the next day. Like, is that a real technical? Yeah. Is it giving know. you information at the end of the day? It may not be, right? Right. Well, that's, you know, it's, it's like, don't mistake information. All information is not equal. Yeah, yeah. Right. I tend to focus on asymmetric information that gives me an advantage in my investment perspective. That's why I was saying I think the way to look at the market now is the the future that is going to arrive is a predictable market. That's the MSO market, right? Those stocks are going to go up long term because their performance. They have so much illegal market to eat that they have plenty of predictable growth for the next yeah, yeah. eight, 12, 16 quarters. Yeah, and they don't need then, a law change on the federal level. If laws change on the state level, they're good to go. 
hey, if laws change on the federal level, this will be a rocket. You know, this is going to it's it's going to break the sound barrier, which is why, look, to, to everyone, if you're not heavily invested in cannabis, it's painful right now. But I mean, yes, you want to see that things bounce off the bottom. The truth is, it's very rare in life that retail can be in front of the institutions. Yep. When institution money comes in, it's, it's just going to be it's going to be like a bulldozer. You have a chance to very delicately put make bets that are are you're not fighting, you know, you don't feel like you're in a rigged game right now. It's just yeah. it's just so painful to watch these things grind down. Well, you know, and and you know, I, I had this point a while back, you know, just like my biggest mistakes in money management ha- has been trying to be too cute with clear structural trends like i'm gonna oh i'll get back on that elevator in a in a, in a minute or two but that's yeah. what you know and that's something that i've really just really you know scott and i we we work on all these growth themes like scott when when's the best right. time we've ever done when we don't trade when we literally right. don't yeah, trade if we forget book. about positions or portfolios they do amazing so you just yeah. you set them you know, up to win and you and you're good and we're in a world look i think on a macro i think the stock market it feels to me fragile like where we are in the Dow and I think investors aren't you don't need to look for alpha when everything's just going up yeah, yeah, yeah. right but eventually if you look at look at a market it, like in any other world in a traditional trading world I think the market's like I, I honestly don't think there's any ra- rationale behind anything at this point right yeah. it's almost like each story has to be individualized and I'm not talking about cameras I mean like in stocks I mean everything Right. Each stock has its own unique kind of world. Right. We have meme stocks. We have things happen for all kinds of reasons. <clears throat> like, Mitch, could you could you envision a world that we're in sitting now post COVID? Like, it's unbelievable. There's yeah. tribes like we're sitting in a tribe. We're in a cannabis tribe, obviously. And, and, right. you know, yeah, but there's tribes for AMC. And I'm like, I, I, I went down the rabbit hole like on, on like these guys have YouTube channels with half a million subs yeah. talking about AMC every day. And I'm like, I'm like, I can't believe this is real. No, the- the guy on TikTok, you know, the, the the TikTok guy who's like, here's how you trade stocks and make money. Okay, fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's but, like but, 17. Let, let me just lay out some facts for you. And, and and don't think of it as a tribe yet, Thomas. So we're there's a market that a hundred billion is illegal, twenty-five, and we're some US, twenty-five billion is legal, it's gonna be thirty, whatever. Predictable could predictable transition of that revenue. We know the margins are very steady in the 30 to 40% range, certain products are higher. We know that that the in for the large limited license holders, that even if the federal laws change, that that, that growth is going to be concentrated in, uh, in some very large hands. Yeah. And we know that those people have to spend money on grow gens, on ancillary, and they have to use Leafly and Weedmaps for their life. We know the ecosystem and the growth, yeah. and yet the stock market is now treating the cannabis ghetto as you know a redheaded stepchild. And the truth is, right now, is probably the the best way to buy if you want to accumulate huge positions without fighting the uptrend. Yeah, and that's why you know the people who make the most money are often kind of counterintuitive. Yeah, it's you just you said it before. You don't. I don't know if this is a trader's market. I don't know if that's where you want to be. No, to no. me. You want to buy a big bucket of cannabis right now and put it away as a key yep. future leg of a consumer market that's going to be huge, right? And and really, and then you know the things I laid out. You may be able to articulate a specific vision. There might be some certain public companies that give you a chance to do that. But then you got to really read the MDNAs and see what companies are doing. 
you have to really dig through their Form 7s, which, look, we're lucky that a lot of the, the U.S. companies trade in Canada. The Form 7s are very informative if you go through them every month. Yeah, yeah those are yeah. great. Yeah. So, but I, I, I'm telling you, it's Yom Kippur. I have a lot to atone for. <laughs> and, and, and I will say that, you know, one thing um, that this is the, this is the most amazing time in Canada is stock prices. Yeah. I mean, I'd love to see everything up 10 X from where it is, but yeah, yeah. ultimately if it, if it got overheated again, it's not going to help. We're now seeing true growth for companies that have capital efficiency, but more importantly are cashed up. I mean, when's the last time someone announced an equity raise? I can't yeah. think of one on, yeah. on the large MSO side. Yeah. So they are grown up. Just recognize that these are grown up companies now. Yeah, yeah, they are yeah, not yeah. working from a position of weakness. They don't have to raise money into these into these low stock prices. And that's huge. If you're an investor, you don't have to worry about that dilution just, you know, coming in and hitting you. Let alone the investors you hear institutions. The big guys are all like, I get it. I get it. I just can't do it. That's exactly what that, you want to hear. I, it's no, not, I, this, I wouldn't touch this with a 10 foot pole, right? right? It's, I like it. I can't do it, but someday I will do it. I mean, there was an RA you said to me, I probably have 50 clients that I would love to put in your fund, but I have to educate them. It's going to take a little while, but here's, but the first three are in, you know, so now we're finding the lower hanging fruit who are more open to that adoption curve. Yeah. Eventually everyone, look, cannabis is going to be a staple of people's portfolios. Yep. You know? Yep. And, it, and it, not it, necessarily a vice staple. Medical no, medical no, cannabis yeah. is going to be a huge, huge business. Actually, Mitch, just on that, someone, um, I have a question just uh, that, that we had out here just in terms yeah. of medical. So I'm just, I'm just trying to put put everything together. You know, uh, just uh, maybe your, 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 just if you could flesh out more thoughts. Oh, here we go. What does Mitch think about 3.0 pharmaceutical plays trying to develop cannabis drugs? That, that was the question. Uh, well, th that's going to happen. But more importantly... You're going to have the 1.0 operator who has innovated into a quote unquote medical product, and then we'll just spend the money to get some type of approval. So I, I do think, and, but by the way, here's, what's the most interesting about the workers comp reimbursement that people are going to be reimbursed for an un FDA approved drug. I mean, let's be real. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and by the way, it's not drug, it's a substance. So you're, you're seeing reimbursement right now. Reimbursement is going to occur before the FDA approves any cannabis based products. And so, that'll just lead to more spending from consumers because they're being right. reimbursed. It's, it's like chiropractic care is not quote unquote FDA approved. Right. It's yeah, reimbursed. So, right? so you, Physical therapy yeah. is reimbursed. It, so re, you have yeah, to separate reimbursement. Everyone always talks about FDA approval. That's not, yes, Epidiolex is FDA approved, but, the, but eventually other CBD products are going to be reimbursed if they're medical. So that's why flour, you, you, those are, I think it'll be concentrates, tinctures, other... I don't know if the if if a workers' comp reinsurer is going to pay for people to buy like a pound of of high you know a black Afghan Kush from from Rhythm in in yeah, Chicago, yeah. you know I'm not sure that's going to happen. No, yeah. But that start, will lead start to with more form factors. Yeah. That will lead to more form factors, and that's why I invested in companies like Mode, which is a precision dosing device that gives you certainty as to what you're consuming. Mm -hmm. I think you can look for a lot of that to happen over the next couple of years. Um, completely, you're going to find medical devices. You're going to find consumption devices. You're going to find, you know, it would it shock me if Cureleaf had like a deal with some kind of medical provider yeah. who's going to provide medical hardware for consumption? No, it doesn't surprise me at all. I could see that happening. Wow, that's that's huge insight right there, everyone. Yeah. Remember it. But that's why you got to understand and read the MDNAs. You got to see what they're doing. Yeah, you got to yeah. see who their partners are. You got to see where they're making strategic investments to understand who's actually going after that. The medical side is going to be huge. It's going to be huge. And I don't mean medical licensing. I mean 
the, the, the fulfillment of people who want to move off opioids, want higher quality of life. The interesting thing in some of these workers' comp decisions is how much the judges went into the qualitative aspects of that person's life in their usage of medical marijuana. Okay. It's huge, Interesting. right? There's a lot of, a lot of, there's a lot of, it's not just, you know, how you go to a doctor and he say, you know, I can't really recommend. I don't know if it really works. No, these judges are saying we took testimony from these doctors and this is what they said about their patient's quality of life. This is what they said about their change from opioids to medical marijuana. Yeah, and yeah, I think yeah, when yeah. you look at those changes, that has, that's that normalization trend, but you have to read it. You know, you have to, if you want to invest differently, you have to read differently. Yep. And you have to be yeah. willing to grind through the information. That's what cannabis, that's what excellence in cannabis investing is about. Mitch, you've been very generous with your time <laughs> yeah, here. And we've yeah, got to do a lot. Wow. This has been fantastic, Mitch. A, a pleasure, man. Uh, so you know what? For our next Cannabis Con, I know obviously you, you, your calendar is is filled up. We'd love to have you in a slot. Just a, an update. It's it's coming soon. So, you know, sure. uh, but uh, yeah, man. I have, are you guys going to be, are you coming to MJ BizCon? We're still figuring it out, Scott. I, you know, are you we, allowed we, to travel? I don't. Even, I don't. I forgot what trans. It's, you know, it's, what it's, it's, it's a trans it's a pain in the ass for me. Getting across the border. So yeah, I'm, I'm in the U.S., so I can do it. We're still just figuring out. We got a lot on the go, but we'd like yeah. to be there for sure. Yeah, I mean, you, you guys, if you guys are, you know, t Tuesday, I'm doing a talk, and then uh, we're gonna host an event that Tuesday night. So, oh, you know, wow. Not you know just for me and a thousand of our closest friends. I mean, that's a that's well, a can't miss if you're there for sure. Yeah, yeah. That that should be our events tend to be pretty fun. Yeah. Awesome. 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 Mitch, thank you so much, man. Uh, can't wait to do it up again. Uh, yeah. MJ BizCon or the next Grizzle, Grizzle Cannabis Con. Uh, thank you, man. Hey, thanks yeah. for everything you guys do. I mean, you guys are, you're out there really educating and it's, and it's amazing. And, and you, you deal with some knuckleheads, I'm sure. But, uh, you know, thank you guys for everything <laughs> you guys do too. Yeah, yeah. We, do, we just take the trolls and we do a little bit of this, a little bit of noogie and we get, move on. Hey, you, got, you know what? There, you guys have to have your own secret handshake. I'm sure, you know, let's start it up. I don't know what you, you but I want to see a grizzle handshake. It could be the dot, you know, the green hands or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. The next hat. That's how we'll the debut hat, yeah. the handshake. <laughs> okay. Sounds good. Uh, Mitch, awesome. Great. You, great. Thanks for stopping by Mitch. All right, thank you guys so much. All right. Cheers. Thanks for tuning in everyone.